0: To the Casey City Church audio podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. My friends this morning, how's your faith? How's your faith or meter? If I could put it to you that way. if we've got a meter that can measure our faith, what do you think that that measure is going to measure out to for you? Think about it this morning. think about it right, just like a thermometer, you know, just like now when you, when you come into certain stores, when you go into work, they've got this, this temperature reading, right, they come right before you, before you enter, before you can come into their premise, before you can come into that place, you need to have your temperature read, After your temperature is red, then they ask you to sanitize yourself. So if you look at it, if we take that into the context of of the Lord, His blood that we heard about this morning, communion, His blood sanitizes us, amen, from our original sin, from the very sin. So His, His blood was imputed, His righteousness was imputed to us. And that's just an amazing aspect. And so when that temperature, when that faith-o-meter is put before you, imagine what it's going to read. It's going to read that you are more than a conqueror, that you've got courage, that you've got boldness, that the boldness of the kingdom of God is resident within you and I. Isn't that, isn't that good news for us this morning? Man, if it is good news for you personally this morning, can I please encourage you to to, uh, to not just give a shout out there, but, but write it out in, in, in those comments and say, yes, I believe that. I believe that, amen to that, amen to that. That would be extremely encouraging. Hallelujah. Now, this morning, we're going to be looking at the parable of the Pharisee and the text collector, or some call it the publican. So let's, uh, can I invite you to just bow your heads for a minute and, and begin to consider this, the reading that we had, which was on the parable of the persistent widow. So I'm going to tie both of these together because it, th- there is a link in the context of prayer this morning. So let's just ask the Lord to just unveil some of this truth to us. And so, Father, we thank you that as we come before you, Lord, each and every one of us, we just want to thank you that our, our, our faith is buoyant, Lord. Father, our faith is right up there because we put it on you. Not on anything else, Lord, our faith is upon you. And so we take that upon ourselves again, we remind ourselves today. And we ask right now in Jesus' name, as our hearts are open, as we've come before you in our worship and acknowledging who you are and how wonderful and how amazing you are, Lord. We just wanna thank you that in, in return, Lord, you're gonna certainly sow into our lives today. You're going to unveil certain things from our eyes. So Lord, I pray, remove the scales from our eyes. Unstop our ears and let our heart be soft today. Just at the right place for your word and for the many things that have been spoken already today. To have and to bear much fruit, Lord, we thank you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Just want to thank you again this morning, friends, for joining us. Those of you who are from Casey City Church, we really want to welcome you once again. And for those who've been joining us, you know, um, you you may not be part of our church community as such, but you've been uh, jumping online with us. And we're so, so grateful and thankful that we can come to you, by, excuse me, via this, this mode. And... Isn't it? It's it's so wonderful. I, I just had a wonderful experience a couple of weeks ago when someone just contacted me after. Um, um after the, the the message on the uh, parable of the prodigal son, and uh, and then we began to just catch up over the last couple of weeks, and it's it's so good that there are so many people out there who are really seeking, searching, and are hungry for the word of the Lord and for His way. So today, we want to touch on the parable of uh, the Pharisee and the text collector, and I'm sure many of us would have would have uh, read that, but. Earlier, we also heard Jeddah share with us and read on the parable of the persistent widow. And I want to emphasize that, the persistent widow. Now, Jesus, obviously, in that parable, he shows us why we should pray. It is about the why, the context of why we should pray. And so there is the persistency. That's, That's the aspect, being persistent in our prayer, right? But... He, of course, unlike the unjust judge, is a kind and righteous father. Amen. Can I hear an amen for that? That he is a kind, I'll say that one more time. He is a kind and righteous father who loves his children and will bring justice amen. to you. He will bring justice. Amen. That's good. Thank you. In, in the parable of the Pharisee and the text collector, Jesus actually now shows us how. How? It's the how aspect, how we should pray. So the why aspect we get from the persistent widow, the how aspect we come and and and, and we glean that from this parable, right? It is not with pride. It is, it is not comparing ourselves to others, but in humility and in need of God's mercy. And I want to say that again, in need of God's mercy. Bringing these two parables together. So... Uh, the Apostle Luke, who wrote these, who, who wrote this, uh, who wrote the gospel. Now Luke shows that we both must pray, and we must never lose heart, and and that there is a there is a certain heart that knows how to pray, and a heart that doesn't as well. So it is it is what I call position versus posture right? Position versus posture. What's your posture when you come? Or are you looking at your position? And because you have the position, you think that you have the right, right? So it's position versus your posture. And uh, let, let me read from uh, Luke chapter 18. And I believe you'll see that on your screen as well. Uh, Luke chapter 18 on uh, from verse 9 right through verse 14. Then Jesus told, Jesus told this story to some. Who had great confidence and keep that in mind Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else and again I want you to keep this in the back of your mind that Jesus had told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else and in verse 10 it says is that two men went to the temple to pray one was a Pharisee and the other was a despise Collector, uh, text collector. So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the text collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. So again, he, he goes through his, somewhat his, maybe his His resume, in a sense, this is is, these are all of the things that I'm doing, right? And he instead, but the tax collector stood in verse 13, stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, Jesus addresses the crowd with this this parable. Right? And what I want to... Quickly share with us here is, is that there are two types, two different, two different types of prayer, right? Now the two, the two men in in this parable are worlds apart, as we see that the Pharisee was a model citizen, right? He knew the Torah, like you know, he knew he knew the Bible in that sense, right? He was law abiding. He gave his tithes. He was just, he was a family man and, and, and righteous before men. So when, when everyone saw him, they saw him as someone who was righteous. He had a good standing in society, right? Now, the Pharisee had a good reputation. There were some who were, of course, over the top, but... Many of them were classified as good or model, model citizens. Now, um, there was a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, and he described them. As this, a certain sect of Jews that appear more religious than others, and seem to interpret the law more accurately. So there was this sense of uh, a particular hierarchy that they were, that they belonged to the, the Pharisees, right? No one looked at the Pharisee and saw that they needed that that that, needed, um, that they needed to be corrected. Right? No one except Jesus. When Jesus comes into the scene, he begins to correct the Pharisees, but everyone else thought that that was that was that was the height of being that was the height of goodness. If I want to be good, then I got to be like the Pharisees. But the tax collector on the other hand was the opposite to the Pharisee. He if, if the Pharisee was a model citizen, the tax collector was a criminal avoiding arrest. Now, a commentator by the name of Kent Hughes describes the text collector this way. In today's culture, the closest social equivalent would be a drug pusher or a pimp. Those who prey on society, who make money of others' bodies and make a living of stealing from others. So that's the closest. So that's, that's how a text collector is actually categorized, right? He didn't think much of himself this tax collector. He couldn't look to what he he couldn't look to what he was or what he did and thank God for any of it. So there was nothing that he felt as he looked at, he could thank God for. Now, how many of us sometimes feel that way, that we feel, man, I, I, I'm, just so, I'm, I'm just so wretched. There's, there's nothing much that I, oh, we feel so shameful. And that's how he felt. He felt guilty, he felt shameful, and he comes. And so there was nothing that he felt he could really, um, you know, that, that could really draw him to the Lord. But there was a measure of desperation, friends. And sometimes we may feel that, but is there a desperation that really pulls us? So when compared, the Pharisee is obviously the better person, right? We'd like him to be one of our good friends, probably. Maybe we'd like him to be our neighbor. Or if we need help, we would call upon him. Now, the tax collector, on the other hand, is someone we'd want to avoid. Right, we'd want to stay away from. We would not even want to associate with him. Probably you would unfriend him on Facebook. Certainly not follow him on Twitter or Instagram. Right? We often forget the difference between these two persons. Right? Those of us who have heard so much bad about, you know, the Pharisees, forget that there are that many of them were were actually very kind. And that we probably would want our kids to look up to them, right? But make no mistake, the Pharisee was the good guy and the text collector was the bad guy, right? As we read this parable. But we only see the outside of a man. Isn't that right? Right? When we look, it says, you know, do not judge a book by its cover, but most often we look at the outside of a person in one Samuel chapter sixteen, verse seven. Just take down this verse, one Samuel chapter sixteen, verse seven. It says this, but but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The, the Lord looks at your heart. And he's looking at your heart right now. And as he begins to search your heart, you know that psalm, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. There's an old hymn, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. That, you remember that old hymn, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. That's our cry. That's our plea. That's, that's what we want to see happen, Lord. Right? We want God to begin to search our hearts. So in this parable, Jesus redefines what's good and what is bad in the context of that culture at that point in time and the people in that point in time because they had a defined mindset of what good was and their, their, their measurement was the Pharisees and how they lived their lives. And the Pharisees felt that they were good, that their righteousness was was good. And, And how often do we feel that? We feel that, man, why do I need Jesus? I'm good. Why do I need religion? They looked at Christianity and many say, oh, religion, I don't need religion. No, you of course don't need religion, but what you need is relationship. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus comes to us in the form of a relationship. And so He came to reconcile us back to the Father. That again is to establish that relationship. He became that bridge so that we can walk right across into the kingdom. We could get our permanent residency in that. We've got our visa now to get into that, that kingdom. Amen. So he draws a comparison. This, is a, th- this parable is a parable of comparison, right? He draws a comparison here in this parable and reveals what we miss when looking only at the outside. So in verse 9, Jesus starts the parable addressing some who have confidence in themselves. So that's the reason that he spoke to them in this parable, because he was addressing a particular societal issue, an issue that was part of that culture, a mindset that needed to be corrected. And so how does he correct it? He corrects it in the form of sharing a parable. So he comes with this story to bring about a powerful truth, right? So I believe he is, through this parable, talking to all of us. I'm sure because we can can certainly relate to this. For which of us is really sinless? In this area. And what area do you think I'm talking about? It is in the area of trusting ourselves. So many of us trust our abilities, our gifts, our talent, our ability to make you know, either wealth or uh, our, our ability to succeed. And so we say, oh, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. You know, that's, that's a common term that you that you begin to hear. No, I've achieved all of this. If you see all of what I've got, I got this, right? So we put a whole lot of, of trust in ourselves. Even as believers, ask yourself this, how much do you really trust God in comparison to trusting yourself? Now, I'm not saying that by trusting God, you and I do nothing. No, by trusting God, we have to then continue to obey. There's a difference between obedience and trust, right? In trusting God, we obey. That's, that's, that's a crucial aspect to consider, right? Do we, or we trust a lot in our past, in what we've achieved, So these words, they ring true even in today's context. They are words for all of us to really, really heed. Friends, these are words that we need to heed. Right. What was wrong with the Pharisee? Often, it is assumed that this Pharisee was a legalist. Well... I'm I'm really uncertain whether this Pharisee was a legalist. Legalism is one who tries to earn his salvation by his good deeds, right? That's how I'm going to define this in this context. Now the Pharisee doesn't do that, right? He believes his good deeds are given to him by God. This is what he really, really believes. He says as much as he he, he says as much of this in his prayer. Because he starts off by saying, God, I thank you. He, he's recognizing that God is the one who gave him his righteousness. So why he's so righteous and why he's so good is because God has given him that, right? Now, that's not bad in itself, but there is a problem in the way that he is viewing it. And the problem with the Pharisee here is in Indeed, not legalism as such. It is that he looked to and trusted in that righteousness that he had. His righteousness for salvation. So he comes and he begins to say, I'm not like this person. I'm this, 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 this. So you. So in other words, he's trying to sell himself to God in order to garner greater favor. Right? He didn't believe that he earned it. He didn't believe that, but he was very proud of his righteousness. And, and, and this is an important aspect to, to think because he has this mindset. It is a I'm better than thou mindset. I'm better than you because I have this now. I'm better than you, right? I'm better than you. How many of us in our own Christian walk, we feel this now that we become believers. Oh, we are better than so and so. Oh, now we're better than that. Is that what the Lord intends for us? Is that what the Lord intends for us in terms of how to use the righteousness that He has now given us, that we are His righteousness? Ponder on that, friends. Don't be quick to dismiss that because... Sometimes we may not articulate that, but in our minds we begin to think in how we view someone and we look down at that person, how we look at different uh, uh, ethnicity and we look down at different ethnic background. Isn't that an aspect of being pharisaical in the sense, in, in, in in this context, right? But he believed God's gift of his personal righteousness. But is that... How we are justified. Are we justified by our personal righteousness that God, that we feel God has given us? Are, are we justified by our personal righteousness, I should say? Are we justified by that? Or are we righteous before God because He gave us the ability to do good things? That God gives us the ability to do good things? Or are we righteous before God because Jesus? Is righteous before God and we are in Him. It comes down to one question Whose righteousness is it that saves you and I? Whose righteousness is it? Now, the Pharisee believed his righteousness was the key. Now, notice here, aside from addressing God at the beginning of his prayer, he spends the rest of the time not talking about himself. Again, propping himself up. He trusted in himself that he was righteous, right? He wasn't happy that he was making progress as such. He thought he'd already arrived. The thing about trusting in oneself for righteousness is that it always leads to treating others with contempt. So it is that better than thou mindset. When we believe our goodness is what makes God smile we see everyone else's faults and treat them accordingly. Let me repeat that. When we see when we believe that our goodness is what that makes God smile we see everyone else's faults and treat them accordingly. Right? It's only when we see ourselves as sinners when we've seen ourselves as sinners and that we are righteous in that we are righteous in Christ alone and as we come to know Jesus and receive him we then become the righteousness of Christ we then are his saints we are this righteousness of Christ and that we then can be free from this contemptuous outlook like the pharisee like the pharisee had So the text collector, on the other hand, he was actually really banking on this. He was banking on the righteousness of God. Now, he wouldn't even enter the temple. (laughs) Imagine that, how shameful, how guilty he felt there were other cultural reasons as 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 well for this aspect in terms of a tax collector coming into the temple but jesus is not looking at that he was high he was highlighting uh, the the aspect of humility here even if he was welcome he didn't feel that he belonged and how many sometimes don't feel belonged when they come to church friends i want to ask you that question because do we at times create this chasm and cause people to think that they're not good enough. And we can behave as Pharisees. We can behave in a particular sense of righteousness. So God is speaking to us through this. And, and in particular during this time, this is so interesting that we are, we are, we are at a time where God is leveling everything. Right? He's just leveling everything. We are all in isolation. We are all, you know, churches, whether large, mid-sized, small, whatever, we are all affected by the very same thing. And we've got to do what we're doing right now, to reach the masses, to reach people with the love of God, to reach people with the, with the right context of who Jesus really is, and that He is here for you. He wants to reach you. He wants to touch you. He wants to touch him. Amen. And so even if he was welcomed, as I mentioned that earlier, he didn't feel like he belonged. He stood far off, away from others, not as a Pharisee, but with deep sorrow for his sins. So his prayer is very simple, friends. He doesn't doesn't refer to anyone else. He's not boasting about his righteousness because he is none. He is not explaining his badness as such. He's not even explaining that because he is assuming God already knows that, right? He comes in the context of pleading. He's, and he's pleading, you know, for, he's pleading for mercy. He calls himself who he truly is, a sinner. He would not even lift his eyes toward heaven, which is significant for his, for his time, and during that time it was very significant as they as they prayed they would stand and they would look up to heaven as and as an indication of standing standing right with god looking to the sky and knowing that i'm in right standing now so i can look up to you and i can pray i can i can pray to you now he beats he he beats his breast in grief right so there is this this major desperation now and in the greek mindset here this is what it is it's it's a plea. it's his plea for more than forgiveness he's not just asking for forgiveness there is he's he's wanting something more than forgiveness friends literally it's a plea for mercy it is a plea to be appeased for me to be appeased for this person to be appeased with god right Now, there's a theological term that is used which is known as propitiation. propitiation. That is what it is, right? Where something is imputed to you. So he's asking, so for God's mercy to be imputed into him, Right? To be banked into him, in other words. So he wasn't asking for anything less than God's anger to be removed from him. He knows what he deserves and he pleads for what only God can do. Begins to plead for only what God can do. So the Pharisee now was condemned. The tax collector now is justified. Mm -hmm. But be warned, be warned, my friends. Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we are not justified because God gives us our own personal righteousness, right? We are justified because God gives us Christ's righteousness. Say that with, say that with me again. He gives me his righteousness. I am the righteousness of Christ. Right, it comes down to this, that where are you actually really looking, friends? Are you looking away from yourself to Christ? Or are you looking from Christ to yourself? Are you looking from Christ into yourself? Now, the direction of your gaze, it really makes all the difference. The Pharisee was grateful God made him so well. He not only obeyed the law, he actually super obeyed it, and I'll tell you why. The law commanded one fast on the day of atonement. But he says, this guy fasted twice a week. The law only required tithing 10% of one's income, but this guy tithes even the herbs. And he tithes much more. So we thank he thanked God for making him this way, but his righteousness was not the reason for his righteousness. In fact, it made him really unrighteous. His goodness really clouded his ability to see Jesus' goodness on his behalf. Now, a commentator puts it this way. He glances at God, but contemplates himself. I'm going to say that again. He glances at God, but contemplates himself. How many of us, when we come to God, we just glance at God or we contemplate on ourselves? And so God doesn't become the be-all and end-all. He doesn't become the lover of our soul. He doesn't become the Savior, the Lord, the one that we fully give of ourselves to, right? Now, we can do the same anytime our prayers, anytime we come to Him in prayer that our prayers are made of who we are rather than who god is so we begin to rent and rave and and you know we, we don't 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 we don't we pray prayers like this sometimes to some extent, god you know lord i've given you i've i've done so much for you lord i've i've i've, I've really given a, a lot of myself i've i've I've, fors- I've forsaken so many things i've done this for you i've done that I've, and, and we go on and on and on and say that Right? In, in, in the whole context of saying, God, when is this thing that I've been really waiting for and wanting to see happen really come to pass? And so we bring the aspects of what we've done before God and that's, that's pretty much like what the Pharisee has, has done. Don't you think God already knows what you've done and that he wants to bless you? That he's a father who wants to truly bless you. Amen, Church. So as we as we consider some of these things, I want to leave, I want to leave you with this question, and and uh, I want to end with with the with the story of David and and Goliath here, right? The parable drives us to one big evaluation of our own personal prayer life, right? When we approach God, are we? like the Pharisee that rents everything that we do. Now, now, again, I want to say this very carefully and balance that. It's not that it's not important. And at times, you know, we do say that it is not. And when we say that, that's not important to God because God already knows that. I think it's important for us that as we begin to hear that, we begin to hear ourselves saying this and all of that. And sometimes that's sometimes that's necessary and sometimes that's important. But friends, let that not be the position of righteousness. Let that not be something that you feel you need to say in order to feel righteous. Because today the Lord wants you to believe that you are His righteousness regardless. Regardless of your shame. Regardless of your guilt. That as you come... You know, I'll I'll share next week on the three aspects of how He imputes to us. Meaning how He, what's been banked to us. We'll we'll touch on that next week. Amen? And so, are we like the Pharisee or are we like the tax collector? Faith versus Pride. Pride is where we feel we need to come and boast of ourselves. Faith is where we come, regardless of what it is. In faith, I come. Right? You know, last last week, I was just sharing with two of our pastors as we caught up after service, and we were just talking about the you know, the context and the difficulty that we have right now where we can only have five people here. And and it's 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 difficult because I don't I don't feel the powers that be really understand what a church service is really all about and how a church service is conducted. In what we do, and in how we do, we have way more things and way more people involved. But we've been limited to five. And as I began to think of that, the thought, and I've shared this on our Facebook, on our community Facebook page, but for those of you who are not part of that close community, I immediately thought of David. And David had five stones before going to destroy Goliath before pulling Goliath down he came to a place where as he began to hear the sense of this this, this 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 spirit in Goliath that was just intimidating just intimidating and don't, don't you think that is happening in this day and age that we feel intimidated that either through coronavirus or through all of what's going on here and, and, and sometimes even the restrictions and things like that that are put on, we understand these restrictions are good and they are important and all of that. But at times it feels like as if, you know, we're all being intimidated because we're not being understood. And there is this sense of intimidation, right? So there is what I, what, what I term the spirit of intimidation that the enemy is really trying to attack. Not looking at people, but looking at the spirit really more than anything. The spirit of intimidation that is over us. But what did David do? And let me tell you this. David came into a context of suddenly seeing Goliath, who was this ferocious person, right? Scaring the daylights out of the Philistine army. But he comes out of isolation. And why I say that out of isolation? Because he is way back in the desert as such, in the backwoods, tending the sheep. And while he's tending the sheep, he's praising God and he's, and he's killing the bear and he's killing the lion. So in that isolation, he is waging this warfare and he's realizing that he is more than a conqueror, right? But he's just a teenager. He's like you and I, an ordinary person. Don't think of him as King David. He was not King David at that point in time, friends. He was merely David, the lover of God. The lover of God who was in isolation. He worshipped God. He knew his God. And so when he came, what did he act out on? He acted not, not out of a position of shame, not out of a position of guilt, but he was that champion, that song that we sang. The giants will fall he goes and he just takes he takes those those five stones but all he needs is just that one and he begins to down Goliath he begins to kill Goliath friends and when he came you know he began to talk and his brothers thought it was prideful but it was faith That's the difference between faith talk and pride talk. Faith talk is when you begin to realize that you are His righteousness and that you will talk, you will speak. And when others begin to listen to you, they think that you're boasting, that you're being prideful. But that's faith that is starting to arise from you, friends. And faith needs to arise.